do you think that us sitting across from each other is does that does that feel weird? Do you want to be upside down? Um, you can. I'm glad that after all these years, you feel free to ask me questions like that. Do um, other people treat you differently than I do? Yeah. Um, D- should I be treating you with more deference? Um, no, I like the way you treat me. Um, which is with a mixture of deference and disdain. The, the double D's. Um, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Back in for crazy town. Back in for crazy town. As for this podcast, my fourth. It's a conversation with boy man, more alien than dude or bro, Andy Rue Forrest, who I've known for three decades. that I've introduced you. Okay. So welcome to episode four of Packing for Crazy Town. And... Thanks for having me. Oh, Andy, of course. The moment that I decided that I was going to do a podcast called Packing for Crazy Town... And I really like the name, by the way. Thank you. The, the, the thing I thought to myself was, my fourth episode, I'm going to have Andy on there. And... Uh, Thank you for listening to episode three with Diane. I realized after we did it that perhaps I should have cut it in half. Mm. Um, because cut it, her in half or cut the podcast? No, cut the okay. podcast right. in half because it is a lot to ask. Mm-hmm. To Everyone's busy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things people can be listening to. Mm-hmm. And so I'm grateful that people did listen mm-hmm. to it. Unless they didn't. Unless they downloaded it and just mm-hmm. didn't. But thank you. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So... The name of the podcast is Packing for Crazy Town. Mm -hmm. Um, When you saw that title, and you knowing me for as long as you have, um, what showed up in you from that name? Did that resonate? Is that like, what is she talking about? Hmm. Well, two things, probably. Um, You know, I think firstly, packing... Getting ready, having the tools, having the things that you need to exist in crazy times when the shit hits the fan in some in some in the future. I mean, we don't know what the future is going to be like, and having being prepared for the future is really the, the I think the thing that's strongest in my life about that, and that is not perhaps evident on the outside in this kind of, you know, modern metro culture that I live in, is that I am the son and the grandson of Holocaust survivors. And that kind of thing, whether it's war or whether it's, you know, any kind of trauma like that, ripples down through families and people and generations and and generally has a really profound effect. I I was really lucky to know my grandfather really well and my grandmother well, who, and... My grandfather had a, um, a Winnebago parked in his driveway with a retrofitted gas tank um, where he could reach, he could pack the family in and uh, reach the Canadian border from Palo Alto, California. And, you know, there was a lot of guns and there was a lot of gold that was in the walls and in the floorboards. 
And he was really well packed for Crazy Town. He was ready for the next, um, the next thing that was going to come down. And he, um, it wasn't going to be, you know, it wasn't going to be the Third Reich, but it was, it was, he had a lot, lots of theories about what it was going to be, and he was living in that state all the time. So that's one thing, is that I was taught as from a very young age that you don't know when the shit's going to hit the fan. You're living in peaceful times, but, um, but someday everything you know is going to break down, and, um, and you better re be ready for it. So that's kind of like on this apocalyptical kind of level. That's probably the first thing. But the second thing is, is maybe kind of almost like the reverse of that, in that a little bit of craziness just in, you know, it's like a little bit of yang in the yang kind of thing. Is just, is just a little bit of craziness in your in your life helps you survive. It's like a good thing. So when I think about you. You know, when I thought about you doing this podcast about packing for Crazy Town, um, like you're somebody who has all of this spirit and charm and wit and, you know, part of your whole thing and why everybody wants to touch you is because you have this fun, joyful kind of craziness about life that, that, that's not pinned down to convention or to, you know, traditional ways of thinking. Like, you know, you're, you, you, you free associate and you, and, you, and you move your life with creative flourishes, which are slightly crazy and kind of, uh, you know, and sometimes in, in kind of a, a drab, wretched world. And so I, it was a little of both. It was like, oh, that makes total sense for, for Sarah to be doing that in this world, because we're always packing for, for tomorrow, which is going to be crazy town. And then also, like, when the next paradigm shift comes, um, what is it that we need? Like, what is the essential parts of life that we need um, to survive kind of the next, the next level? Two things. One... Only I can say two things, by the way. <laughs> two things. One, really, were there golden guns as part absolutely. of the Winnebago? Absolutely. Are you serious? Absolutely. There was all I love sorts that so much that you love that so much. Yes. Oh yeah, there was lots of there was gold. There was a, a filing cabinet that you couldn't open from the from the drawers. You had to undo the third screw in the back. There was gold in the walls. Uh, the whole thing. The house was booby trapped, and people actually did break in once and steal a bunch of guns. There was the time I was sitting in the room with him, and he was explaining to me like the difference between Italian and American guns, and this was the Beretta, so when you see the S, or maybe you don't see the S, this means it's on safety, but this doesn't mean it's on safety. Watch, I'll show you. <laughs> blows a hole in the living room, blows a hole in the living room, cinder block, it was like cinder block, and chips were coming off of the cement and hit me in the head, and it was lucky the bullet didn't ricochet and kill his grandson. I mean, this is how people die, right? 85-year-old um, man, uh, with a bunch of guns, not probably not the safest thing in the world, um, but uh, he was he was a very very strong personality in my life. He was a second degree black belt in jiu jitsu, and he was a psychiatrist, and um, he was kind of in this state of post traumatic stress of having saved his family once um, by being prepared, and um, you know he taught me how to shoot guns, and we would you know there weren't a lot of middle-class white kids who were at the, at the, going, driving out to the, to the, in California, out in Northern California, driving out to the rifle range with their grandpa and shooting. There were a few. 
Um, and then um, when he was 84, he committed suicide, which is, I think, perhaps maybe not uncommon for those, for that, for those. He had the means to do it because he was a physician. Yeah. He was a, he was a big personality. Well, do you think part of what I love about you and I've always admired since you were my first boss out of college is that you just seem to be okay with whatever is going on. And now that I just heard that story, do you think you know, part of your, your, your Zen, part of your confidence comes from, you must have, that must have made you feel very safe on one level that you could always, that you could, that you knew there was a way out and there were, and you weren't going to starve and you could get to the Canadian border. And do you think he was actually thinking about, he was maybe preparing for Silicon Valley? <laughs> do, you think, do you think if he had lived to see Facebook move into the neighborhood, he probably would have shot himself anyway? I'm sorry, he didn't shoot himself. No, he didn't. No. Um... Oh, so we're in the wilds of Seattle in uh, Andy's compound, which I'll say is is basically above Scarecrow video. Um, so I don't think he, I, I mean, I don't think those things put me at ease at all. They made me, I had this, this uh, figure in my life who was constantly telling me um, that the end was nigh. And um, I think they put me on edge, and they made me nervous, and uh, and probably gave me, you know, a certain amount of anxiety. But you know, he had been there, he had been down to hell, and um, he had stories to tell about it. And I'm grateful that he told me the stories. I think that I'm I'm, I'm actually a, probably a fearful a person, and I don't know how much of that you know that I that I operate out of a sense of fear a lot of times. And I think he I don't know how much he had. To do with that, I think he might have had a fair degree of that. Yeah, I'm a six in the Enneagram. I'm phobic, but I'm counterphobic. I go toward my fear. Oh my gosh! I told you I had some time to kill before coming here and meeting mm -hmm. you and doing this. So, uh, in popped into my mind reflexology, mm -hmm. as so often mm -hmm. does, and so. I was able to find a place near here and I went in there and that's the same principle with pain. They're just going right for, you know, the mm. spleen or the mm. heart mm. in the middle of your foot mm. and you can either hold your breath and pull away or you can move towards the pain mm. into play. Did they tell you that? Or did you figure that's, that out? I showed up. Oh, I see. That. I see. Um, yeah. So how? But how? So he saved his family. Your father, mm. who I know and love, mm -hmm. who was maybe kind of on the other end of the spectrum yeah. from your grandfather. Yeah, my grandfather was a very aggressive uh, personality, and my father is a pacifist. I would say uh, he, he's a very, very gentle human being. So gentle. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so your grandfather, how did he get your family? So he never went to a concentration camp. No, he didn't. Or a concentration center, as Sean Spicer might say. <laughs> He didn't. He actually was familiar with the Nazis because he had gone to medical school in Vienna in the 20s. The Nazis were in Vienna before they were in in Germany proper. And so um, he had been street fighting the Nazis in uh, Vienna. And when they came into power in Germany, he said, that's it. I'm going to get my family out. And he was uh, doing a neurology work in France. And so he had some papers to drive across the border, even though the border was closed. 
and he started taking money out across the border, which was illegal, and then eventually he took his family out, yeah. And he got them to France, and then things didn't look so good for France, and he was able to get to America, yeah. And then straight away... It's not that uncommon a story for the folks who lived. Right. Yeah. And then straight away to Palo Alto, or...? No, they all moved to New York. And it was my father and mom who moved from New York eventually out to California. Oh, to Menlo yeah. Park. Yeah. And now that's the, um, I, lo- I see the house that they shoot the exteriors of Silicon, Silicon Valley in, and I'm like, hmm, that looks a lot like Andy's mm. Menlo Park house. Mm. Mm. But I'm not quite, yours so. was better. Yeah, ours was overgrown with full of weeds, yeah. Have you seen that show, Silicon Valley? No, but I had a friend who was in it. Which friend? Chris Welch. What what role? He played like a, a, a rich eccentric kind of kind of savant kind of guy who didn't have very good social skills. I didn't. I only saw him in a couple of clips, so I don't know what the character's name was. But then he died of cancer in real life. Is that what happened? Yeah, and so then he was he. I don't know how they wrote him out of the show, but um, he was the guy. Um, I saw him in one clip where he was financing some yes, young people's yes. deal. Yes, yeah. he's a well-known. My mouth was slightly agape yeah. there because that he's yeah he was a big character. Yeah, yeah, he used to work for us at Entros, and he was great. He was a, a great um, guy at Entros. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Entros, so when you and your partner, I don't mean your domestic partner, but mm-hmm. I mean your business, business partner, partner, yeah, Stephen. Yeah, it's a strange word huh, these days. Partner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your partner, Stephen. Yeah. Um, you came out here. And I'm not following my list of questions, mm-hmm. but um, you started Entros with what year was that? And can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I think that was such an amazing place and so ahead of its time. And now it's, of course, it's dead. But yeah, well, it lives discuss. inside of us all. Um, so Entros was um, a place, we had a restaurant in the middle, yeah. and then around the restaurant, in a series of rooms, we were designing entertainment that people would do in groups, do together. And so we started to look at, like, well, how do people do entertainment together? You know, because we didn't want them just sitting down and watching a screen. That was passive entertainment, and we wanted this participatory, highly social entertainment to do together. And so we started just to look at models of how people play together, you know, and how they work together. I mean, sometimes you're in an, in a, in an art workshop um, type of environment, and you're making something with your hands, but you're doing it next to somebody. And so we had fake ID workshops that were going on there, or we had silk screening of T-shirts. And then there were other things where you might, you know, uh, what we called kind of interactive type exhibits that were more like you like an interactive hands-on museum kind of thing, but would force you to interact with other, other people. Um, you know, there was a famous one where um, you put on a camera on your head and somebody else would look at the feed from that camera and guide you through a, and guide you through a maze and you, could he- and you could talk to each other, but you were blind as a bat. And you, you were essentially like a robot, and you were being given instructions from your friend who was sitting outside the room. Um, and so there, was, there were game shows there. There were all sorts of different kind of models of how people would interact, and all of them were guided by people. And Chris Welch, this guy, was a, was a, was a we called them guides, was a guide in, in the room. And we were, t- we were taking you know, what we thought was great interpersonal. We used to call it interactive, but then 
the digital business stole the word interactive, so we couldn't use it. So we were taking great social and interpersonal entertainment and and making it our own and building it in these in these rooms. And it was it was um, super um, it was super popular, especially with kind of the adult city team building kind of corporate um, crowd. Um, that they would we'd come there. We were called the future of entertainment by the Wall Street Journal. Apparently, they were wrong. Well, the thing is, I still have my fake ID from Entrust. I yeah. think I found it the other day, and yeah. and probably one of some of the most fun I've had as a, as an adult was in Entrust. Oh, that's so nice to hear. The thing is, so now that was before smartphones. Yeah. And so now I wonder if. What do you think would happen if you? Plus, it was beautiful. It was just a gorgeous, beautiful space. Mm. I wonder what would happen now if you opened Entros when everyone's just glued to their phones, mm. and you came in and said, "Okay, leave your cell phones at the door." Mm. I, I think that people would crave that kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I think that they would, and I think that they have that. You know, I think people go on these retreats and they go to cooking classes or they play music together and they oh, they true. they have warm low tech in you know people go on vacation they go out to the beach they play sports they have warm low tech ways of interacting i think the marketplace is really um you know it's just like anything else it's just that what john stuart mill called the dead hand of custom is that we just have these customs in our world um and they kind of inhibit us or they limit us to conventional ways of thinking. So, for instance, going out to a restaurant in the evening or going to a movie are the predominant ways that urban adults and even rural adults spend their discretionary time and their discretionary income, their excess time and income. And movies, um, restaurants, especially restaurants. And there's so much energy and so much time and so much, um, and there's so much uh, that that goes into restaurants. For example, people aren't sitting at, at, um, around on a Saturday morning with their friends and thinking, "What are we going to do tonight? It's Saturday night. What are we going to do that's brand new that we've never done that is going to blow our minds? What can we come up with?" And so they're not reinvent. They're not people in the marketplace. Uh, um, there are in a, don't don't get me wrong. There is innovation. Yeah. There is innovation. It's out there. But by and large, most people want something which is familiar when they go out and they have entertainment. It's a it's a small group of people who are going to fringe theater or going to poetry slams or looking for willing to wade through a lot of bad stuff in order to get the the few pearls that they're going to find along the way. So, do I think intros would be great? You know, and uh, it, uh, now in this post-iPhone age, yeah. yes, absolutely, it would be. Yeah. Do I think it would be economically feasible and viable? Oh God, I don't know. I don't want to try. <laughs> uh, I don't. Wa- I don't want to. I don't want to try. Maybe if you were really smart and you really were paying attention and and you were willing to, you know, it sell was a moment in time. sell enough T-shirts along the way. Yeah, uh, it, it was, was great. It was a. It was a. I look at it as a grad school and a dating service. A lot of us got married. There, a lot of us uh, met our our spouses there. A lot of us learned about business there. Um, it was great. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um. So, when I when 
I have a new intern, um, an unpaid intern. His name is Donald, uh, who's doing a great job of keeping the keywords like crazy or unhinged or fucking bananas in the national conversation. In the nightly news, it's now not uncommon to actually hear the word crazy. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Or is that just what 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 has? Do you think that what's happening in in Washington D.C. is a manifestation of some just some sort of atmospheric shift in the frequency or the destiny of our planet, or it's not the reason for it? You know, what are you experiencing in terms of something that's different than say 2014? How how are th- can you dissect and parse something, any observations that you had around mm. that? I don't, I don't think that I can with much certainty. I think I look at things, I mean, I tend to, these days I've looked more kind of on an evolutionary kind of time scale, and I'm interested in human history um, seriously on evolution on an evolutionary scale and um, kind of where we came from how we got to this place where there's seven billion large mammals we're a large mammal on the earth which are you know uh, which is a mammal like there has never been on the earth and where that is heading and where that's going um, and you know and the way and where that's going is that there's going to be disruptions so there's going to be really foundational disruptions. And are, is this a disruption? Is this particular thing that somebody got elected to be the president of the United States who's completely unqualified to be, is that a disruption? Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't know because I don't tend to look at the short term. Yeah. I sometimes look at models like, you know, before revelation, if you're in therapy and you have a troubled life, before you get to the moment of revelation and you go, oh my God, this is what happened or this is how I work, you know, there's often a kind of, you know, there can often be, the, you know, it's darkest before the dawn kind of thing. There can also be tremendous upheaval and, and confusion and even rejection um, and craziness before you level up into something that makes more sense, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm hopeful that that's what's going on in the world. I'm hopeful right now. And I'm hopeful when I see that create some craziness in the current political realm has produced more civic engagement. Like people, you know, in my little subculture are saying, I got to get more involved. I'm, I'm angry at myself that I wasn't more involved, you know, that this, that this happened. So um, I'm hopeful that that this is part of leveling up to something better. But I don't, um, I don't look at, you know, like a three or four year period of time and think this is what is going on. I tend to, I'm, I mean, I am pretty interested in looking at a few hundred years and thinking about what's going on. Well, you're writing a musical right now. I mean, part of our connection is music. Mm-hmm. We were in the... Uh, we are in the um, called Chain Down Cheese, which was a, a improv band. I guess I say was. We haven't played in a long time. 
Um, and you know, when you asked me to be on Packing for Crazy Town, <laughs> you know, and then you, and I saw the logo, and I saw, and I, and I saw the, wow, she's got already podcasts that are already in the can, and I can download them. And then you came over here and you had your, this is the, this is the most structured, organized thing <laughs> that you and I have ever done. And we've known each other for more than 20 years. I mean, we were in an improv band. We've driven across the country. 30 we've done, years. 30 years. We've, we've driven across the country. You know, we've, we've crashed people's party. We've done all sorts of stuff together. But this is, this is the most structured, organized, legit thing. That we've ever done together. We've had a lot of fun, and not that that wasn't important because that was really important. But this is this is um, a little more organized. And hats off to you. Yeah, but I I interrupted you. Uh, I don't think you did. Okay. Well, I, I do think that that I'm interested in in the in the packing of the go bag, in the mindsets and rituals and regimens mm -hmm. and protocols. For me. What I'm, what I'm noticing, what's required is more faith mm. and more attention to detail. Mm. Which, the second one, the first one, that's easy. Mm -hmm. The second one, not so much. Mm. But I realize if you want to show up, if you want to be a part of the conversation, mm -hmm. it's, it's so, I think that the good times are better mm -hmm. and the very good times are potentially sublime. But the bad times, when you space out, when you leave your body, are potentially horrendous and horrific and, and soul-ravaging. So I think all in all, seeing as, as I'm a mother and I really do need to, to show up and be present, that you know, attention to detail is something that I'm, I'm working mm -hmm. on. And even though it's not pleasant, ew. Mm -hmm. I mean, but that's the difference between myself, mm -hmm. you know, the Aquarian child of two Aquarians mm -hmm. versus my friends who are, say, Virgos. Mm -hmm. And I only know enough to be dangerous about something like astrology, mm -hmm. but it's just something that I'm noticing. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, okay, so our connection is was primarily, well, you were my boss. You mm -hmm. hired me to work at Pearl's Oyster Bar mm -hmm. in Palo Alto. Um, right out of college when I was mm -hmm. sleeping on the roof of Theta Chi and you, mm -hmm. you gave me a paycheck which was awesome mm -hmm. um, I wanted to make sure you could buy all the drugs you needed and thank you for that <laughs> um, and <laughs> uh, but, but also uh, now you're writing a musical about overpopulation and consumption yes and consumption can you, what's the first, can you, can you, can you render the first song, a little bit of the first song, or do you, are you bold enough to just be radically vulnerable right now? Well, the first song I haven't written, it's about the biome, and it's called Biome, and it's sung by a gospel choir, and I haven't written that one yet. Um, the second song is about the J-curve, um, and I could, um, and I could sing a little of the J curve for you. Is that what you want me to do? It is. I think that's what we all want you to do. <laughs> you want me to sing it? Can you? Do you, do you need some help? You've got. A you want me to sing it? You want me to uh, sing it a cappella here? Yeah. Well, you. Yeah. How else would you do it? Oh well, if I had it more practiced, I could do it on a guitar. But I'll just sing it a little There's bit. There's a guitar hanging. There on is your a guitar. Head. Yeah, there is a guitar. Um, 
I mean to sing it a cappella a little bit. Yeah. Mm, hey, well, first of all, let me say what the J curve is. Please. I okay. was going to wait for the, okay. for the song. But. So for 37 millennia, the human population stayed basically the same and basically imbalanced with the rest of the systems on Earth. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's a long time, 37 millennia. And then something happened. There was a game changer that happened. And it's not clear exactly what it was, but about one thing that is known is there was an ice age and there was harder to do kind of scavenging for nuts and berries. And there were different different types of what we might call hominoids, humans, you know, roaming the earth. And they probably had different brain structures and they had different social habits and things like that. But for, for one reason or another, back to kind of Darwin kind of feel, you know, the, the survival of those who can adapt to the, to, the, to the environment the best. So the environment changes, and there's this one thing, which is human, humans, uh, homo sapiens, which seem to be able to get to a food supply, which is meat. And they become adept at killing animals. And they have a plentiful food supply. They get this infusion of protein, and their brain goes, and it expands. And their whole cranium changes. And their, their, their jaw muscle shrinks way down. Their brains get big. And they become adept tool makers. They develop, their brain increases. They develop memory, um, uh, astounding memory, and symbolic thinking at the same time, which has to do with communication and all those things. All of a sudden, the population doubles on the face of the earth, of, 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 and, and then it doubles again, and it continues to double. When you have those intervals of doubling, that is called exponential growth. That's what, double, that's what doubling is. And it's very powerful. It's hard even for the human mind to conceive. It's kind of like, you know, space, infinite space. It's hard for us to even conceive what doubling means and how fast it can grow. You know, there's that parable of the, of the, of the prince and the chessboard, you know, that thing where he, the prince did this thing for the king and he said, reward me with, with one grain of rice on one square of the chessboard and two grains of rice on the next square and four grains of rice and eight. And he wanted the, the squares on the chessboard doubled and the king laughed at him and said, okay, I'll reward you uh, for this great feat you've done. And then the king realized there's not enough rice in the world, in the entire world, to give to this print because doubling happens so quickly that you couldn't even do that. So, so there's this guy, Thomas Malthus, who comes along in the 1700s. And, you know, we've heard, if you've heard of Malthusian doom, you know, he believed that people were going to overpopulate and die. And he thought it was happening in the 1700s in England um, with the Irish potato famine um, that, that, that basically population was going to outstrip their ability to get food. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this the next piece, just the next piece of this because I think it's so fascinating and so interesting. There's another guy named Fritz Haber, and he invents chlorine gas. And he says to the to the Germans in World War One, we don't have to use bullets. I can kill the French faster by just releasing chlorine gas into the valley. And and he, and he does. He makes this chlorine gas, and there's this battle at, at Ypres, and he kills like a thousand Frenchmen in the field who choke to death with using poisonous gas. Um, after World War One, we he was he was he was you know um, what do you call it um, you know slapped around and kind of delegitimized, and um, 
and discredited. And um, we made a treaty about that not using poisonous gas in warfare. This same guy then goes on and he creates fertilizer. Oh, that's right. He creates, he, 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 he's able to take nitrogen out of the air and force it into a solid and make fertilizer. And what happened was at that time, he, 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 the food supply again blossomed and the population of the planet doubled. And now we have more than half the, 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 the population of the earth eating food which, and animals which are grown on artificial fertilizer. So it, it's technology that has gotten us here. We eventually are going to outstrip the biosphere. There's just a certain amount of calories that are available in the biosphere. It's a fixed quantity. I mean, it grows a little bit because of sunlight coming in and things like that. But really, there's just a fixed number of resources there. And we are not only outstripping it in terms of population, but we are uh, outstripping it in terms of our consumption because we are consuming at the level of... the uh, a North American consumes at the level of a... Ultrasaurus, as the at the largest level of dinosaur, the, the largest dinosaur that's ever been on the face of the earth. Um, whereas every other animal on earth consumes according to its body mass. But we consume as if we are a giant dinosaur because we're getting shoes and lawn furniture and barbecue equipment and cars and clothes. We are consuming, you know, calories and carbon and energy far greater um, than is possible to sustain. And so the first song in it, in the, in the musical, is called The J-Curve, and it's about this growth. And it goes like this. <sighs> Except that's not part of it. That's just me breathing out. In the land of plenty, there were not so many of the ape men walking the earth. They were hunting and fishing and digging and picking for nuts, bugs, berries, and fruit. And the number of people who died is about the same as the number that came online. And if you took all the people in the whole wide world, well, you could stick them in the Guggenheim. And then the ice age comes and the guy with the thumbs, he's got a fire and he's keeping warm. He's got a brand new tools and a barbecue. He says, let's kill something with horns. And the protein flows and his brain, it grows and he's got a little time on his hands. And if you took all the people in the whole wide world, well, you could stick them into Disneyland. And it keeps going through the, through the J-curve right up to uh, modern uh, history like that. What's the last thing that's the Disneyland? Well, the, well, the population keeps growing. Yeah. You could stick them in the Guggenheim, then you could stick them in Dubenheim, then you could fit them in... Uh, I can't remember what the next thing is, then you could fit them in Germany, and then you could fit them in the USA, and then eventually you can't fit them in the... You can't put them in the world because there's too many of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want this musical to get made. And as I've said to you many times. And now to my former colleagues, if I may. I am so sorry that I didn't get the chance to say goodbye to you properly. It was the honor of my life to serve beside you, to be part of the FBI family, and I will miss it for the rest of my life. Thank you for standing watch. Thank you for doing so much good for this country. 
do that good as long as ever you can. And senators, I look forward to your questions. Director, thank you for that uh, testimony, both uh, oral and the written testimony that you provided to the committee yesterday and recognize himself uh, first for 12 minutes, vice chair for 12 minutes. This is an email exchange I had with Andy. Anyway, I spent hours whittling it down yesterday, then listened to the raw tracks until 2 a.m. and realized that the practice for me is not editing but to be vulnerable about stutters and stupid statements and let it all hang out because we're all getting ready to go down this water slide together and I don't want to be obsessed with this with if this podcast makes my butt look big know what I mean I mean you you are one of the most creative people I've oh, known in well, my life. So oh, so nice. sweet. <laughs> That's so nice. Oh, it's so nice. It's so nice to hear. But the thing is, Andy. Coming from the most creative person. I feel like your blind spot mm-hmm. <laughs> is that is 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 the same thing, which is your your love and devotion to Bob Dylan, who I hate. <laughs> and I would rather listen to Jacob Dylan than Bob Dylan. And that's just been a point of just a, just between us, and it's yeah. this mutually. It's like, okay, agree to disagree. Yeah. But the thing is, if you took that and did what, what's his name, did for Hamilton yeah. and put it in, you know, look, we could take this offline, but I'm yeah. telling you, yeah, you could quit your day job, which is also really cool. Yeah. I mean, you're, you get to be creative. Okay, we're going to take that offline. <laughs> going to fix this whole, this whole musical with its, you know. Well, you know, Sarah, you know that... Um, there's things that I could have done in the world. And there's I don't things, hate Bob Dylan. And I, don't, I don't want you, you know you that to hate I'm me. I'm not going to defend Bob Dylan. I'm going to let him defend himself. But, but you know that there's things that I do get done in the world. Yeah. And there's some things I don't. Yeah. yeah. But this thing, I'm, um, I'm, I told myself that I want to get it done. Yeah. And I have, even though my, I, it has been a challenge for me because I'm not working with partners right now. Yeah. I intend to work with partners when I get this draft together. It has been a challenge for me to do. And for a long time... I worked on it for a while, and then it lay dormant. And then I said, ah, man, I'm not making the progress I wanted to make with this thing. Why is that? So I went and got a life coach. Oh, you did? Yeah. Tell me everything. Everything? Did you get that? Yeah. Um, Okay. So, um, yeah. His name's Richard, and he's a Newmark life coach. And I didn't know there was such a thing as Newmark life coaches, but apparently he's a certified Newmark life coach, and he's good. Um, and um, and now I'm I'm writing again, and I'm on and I'm making progress. So what's the most? And, he, and then the other thing he says, he said he says, Andy, I think you know you said you came to see me so you could kind of jumpstart this project and get get on track with it, but I think actually you came to see me for much broader things that are going on in your life. So well, was he right? No, I don't know. Maybe I mean he's. We certainly have talked about things that are broader than this project, but I want. I did originally come to see him for, for uh, to get the project. I mean I thought I did, but maybe maybe so. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think a side a side aspect of this of this podcast is aimed at creatives looking mm-hmm. to exist and make a living mm-hmm. 
being quote unquote creative, the challenge is, the challenge for me is finishing. I mean, that's why this podcast is like, okay, no matter what, even if all I do is do six of them, then at least I will have finished something and I will respect that in myself. Yeah. Um, If, if something happens beyond that, that's gravy. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a giant thing to make, to make a musical. How, but you, you finish things all the time in your work, creative things. What, what is your, what's this, what's the secret? What is, what has Richard told you about getting this done? He hasn't talked to me about getting things done. I mean, you know, that I've opened a restaurant and I've opened, uh, um, you know, clubs or alternative um, entertainment venues and I have a board game um, com- Empire, a board a factory ga- in China. A board game we'll company. I do not own a factory in China, but sure? I do own uh, what I like to think of as the <laughs> certainly the North American premier game design studio of tabletop games. Um, and um, which, if there's an apocalypse, you stand to gain a chunk of change because we're all going to be like, oh, let's get out cranium and play by candlelight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, exactly. So I say that to myself all that time. Yeah. In the end of the world. Yeah. But let's let's get um, back to it. So um, I kind of you know I've always been interested in business, and I don't. And if I and I kind of think that it, it never seemed incongruous with doing creative work. I know that sometimes people describe those as kind of polar things. You know, like artists yeah. and business. But to me, I I it never seemed opposite and um you know shakespeare was a good businessman and um how do you know well that's what the record says what does that mean i mean we we know we know the history he died a rich man he uh he was he was he was good at it you know they kicked him out of london and he then he opened another theater out of you know out on the, on the outskirts and and he built up a, a a different form of entertainment and he and he invested he bought a shield and a crest for his family and did all the things that you need to to do in that in that life and he died a wealthy man i think there's records of it um but anyway dylan and shakespeare's side um both who i'm just pretty much lukewarm about but yeah. go um, continue talking. do you think that they do you ever think they might have been the same person no i, I there's think that there's a question of, of shakespeare's identity is dylan still alive yes yeah he is alive yeah yeah. And then we gave that uh, a Western outfit. Jay, yeah. a mutual friend, Jay, who's friends with Cheryl Crow, said yeah. Bob Dylan gave her <laughs> this like a Western pantsuit. Yeah, that she felt compelled to wear. At one yeah, point. it's but a gift. Then, it's a gift. It's a gift. Sure, sure. It's sure, a gift. Sure. He must have liked her, and he wanted to give her. Something. He did like yeah. her. Yeah. What's not to like about yeah. Cheryl Crow? No, exactly. Um. So, um. Back. Who, by the way, is a genius at. Those cha- at changes, changes yeah. in songs. Oh yeah, right. Um, yeah. You know, um, and I didn't sing the change in the song because there is a ch- there is this big change in the song. In particular, there's like like a whole rhythmical shift in this particular song. But does I did- it go into hip hop? Because that's where it needs. To that's go. where it no, needs just to go. Kidding. No, I'm, I don't really feel that. But yeah, yeah. Um, so. Um, Shakespeare creativity, yes, okay, but 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 that's that's part of why I wanted to interview you is is that you do have a certain but you ask- ease about you, and you you're you're so creative and you hire creative people and you you I guess I guess 
I don't think that they're mutually exclusive, that being being a success and being creative, but I, I just like to hear your philosophy a little more on that. On on creativity and business? Well no, I guess maybe we did we did let's not beat that horse anymore. Um but you know, um I'm gonna look at my notes here. Okay. Let me take that away from you. Okay. Well I took your pick this when you heard this in the podcast, that was Anthony fiddling with a guitar pick. My name's not Anthony. Oh, did I say Anthony? Yeah. Oops. That's yeah. my son's name. Yeah. If I choose, I might edit that out, but I probably won't. Who okay. cares? Freudian slips. That's the yeah. least of our problems. Okay. Um, let's talk about negative capability. You want me to be your child. I know, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> so, negative capability? Yeah, you were the first and only person to ever bring up the concept of negative capability to me. And it has stuck with me for decades. Because how I understood it was you describing the ability for a person to walk into any situation, however unknown, and just be okay. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, speaks to packing a go bag for crazy town. Yeah. Explain, without going through the whole boring genesis of it, explain your only boring... Well, we just want to give some credit where Keats. it's due. Keats. Keats, right, the poet Keats, yeah. He, he was the first one, I think, to use the term negative capability, which is not negative. It's not, a, it's not saying that it's a bad thing. But you're right. It's exactly what you just said about being able to be in unknown circumstances without a need to reach for an explanation of what's going on, where you can simply be in those situations and be effective and get things done um, without having to explain things. Um, yeah. I don't know what how else I can person, say. How does a person... Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, how does... How do you... I mean, is that something that you... That you... That's just part of you and you don't think about? Or is that something you consciously do? Is there some way to position yourself to be able to be good at that? Or what it... Talk. Mm. Discuss amongst yourself. Oh. <laughs> um, well, what comes to mind is this thing that somebody told me about the two moons. And if you're sitting by a lake in the woods, and you're sitting at the shore of the lake, and there's a full moon that rises in the sky, and it comes up over the trees, and the lake is so calm and still that you can look at the moon in the sky, because it's a clear night, or you can look at the lake and you can see the whole moon in the lake. And the lake is so calm that you can see the same level of detail in the, in the moon that's in the lake as you can of the moon that's in the sky. And in this little parable or in this little analogy, the lake is you, is what's going on inside you. And the moon is the other person that you're dealing with or the moon is the outside environment or the moon is the world the moon is what you perceive to be out there in the world the, the more calm you are the more calm your lake is the more accurately you see the moon in the sky the more accurately you actually see what's there but when ripples start to form in the lake or when the wind comes and it's blowing a little bit, and the surface gets a little bit uneven and broken, you start to not see as accurately of, the, of what the moon's act, 
of the of the qualities and the characteristics of the moon of the outside world, and so um, you know people want to change the world, especially now. But I think that it has to be done in context of changing yourself and becoming still, and being having as much awareness and clarity. So you can do that. You have to change yourself and change the world at the same time. And so I can't remember the question that you asked me. But <laughs> this is what it made me think of. Tell me what the well, question the, the was again. The question was, you know, how does this concept of negative capability show up in you? But do you think, because I do happen to believe this is true, that okay. we see the world as we are, not yeah. as it is. I mean, if you're in a tizzy and you're dropping something off okay. to the dry cleaner, yes. they're just going to give you a face full of crap. Because you're giving, whether it's just atmospheric or yeah. auric or etheric, you're giving off issues. Yeah. You know, you can be on your computer, and I totally yeah. believe that you're... That, your biometrics can completely yeah. be reflected. I like to just walk down the street and just, you know, in, I live in a city, so I like to just walk down the street and then and pass people. And I say hello to everybody. Everybody I pass. I mean, on a crowded street, you can't do it. But I'm on a street and there's somebody coming towards me and I'm waiting and waiting. And there's a point where you're not glaring and you make eye contact or not because they don't want to make eye contact with you. Yeah. And then I say hello or good morning or how you doing? And... And there's a whole aura, there's a whole glow from the other person about how much do they want to take a few seconds, a, sm- a microsecond out of their day. And it doesn't even have to be somebody like at the dry cleaners you're doing business with. It could just be anybody on the street. Or it could be your spouse that you go home to. It could be your child. But it is how present do you want to be. Now, you asked me, what do you think about this thing in Washington, D.C.? Do you think it's different from 2014 to, to where we are now? And I don't, don't know that. I don't know that, but with negative capability, I'm not reaching for the exact answer about, is the shit hitting the fan right now, or is it going to correct itself, or are we going to redistrict the, you know, are we going to win gerrymandering, are we going to fund, fund Planned Parenthood? What I want to do is have as much clarity about me, so I can know what I can do, how effective can I be? And then I want to go out and do the things that need doing because I have hope that I can make a difference. And that is a faith. You mentioned faith before. That is a faith. So if I feel like if I'm still and if I'm looking at myself accurately, then I'll be looking at the world accurately. Then I'll be able to be as I'll be able to maximize my effectiveness about changing the world. Is it going to be enough? Am I going to win the battle? Are we gonna, you know, win in the short run or win in the long run? I don't, I don't know. I don't actually need to know that, and that I think gets back to why you perceive me with negative capability. Is I don't. It's kind of irrelevant to me about, like, the re. Are we gonna go to heaven? Or do we just rot in the ground? Um, does is this the answer or is this the answer? Are we gonna get the White House back? I don't actually know the answers to those questions. I'm pretty comfortable with the mystery. But I know what good work is, and I just want to do good work while I'm here. A, that's that's some good work you just did there. <laughs> what does it mean to do good work? Oh, so I agree with what you said. Mm-hmm. I, I see it with a slight twist in that I actually 
see it as a positive. Mm-hmm. I see massive opportunity in the chaos, you know. So, mm-hmm. what do you think? But but how your approach? That's that is what I see is this kind of Zen, playful, creative being that you are and you're saying that you just wait for people walking down the street so you can just give them a smile and say hi that's kind of the Andy Griffith in you I don't he's like what do you think this is Mayberry I don't wait for them I don't hide in the bushes to say hi to them (laughs) I'm just naturally moving down the street I have a good sense of timing so I know when to look up because there's a certain time when you look up depending on who they are what do you think time what is the nature of having good timing I don't know. What does that even mean? It just means that you have a feeling. You don't... It's just like... You know, I think what it's like is like Tiger Woods or whoever the best golfer is now. You know, yeah, they got trained and they got technique and they had a bunch of lessons. But when they get up there to take their swing, they're not thinking at that point, you know? They're just doing, right? Yeah. And, And they're in the zone and they're doing it. So I think that good timing is that you know when to execute the action and you not you're not you're not overthinking it because you just know and i mean i mean i you know like when you're playing drums um you know one reason it's really fun to watch you play drums um when you're playing music is because you're not thinking you know it's so clearly that you're not thinking you're just you're just uh you know you're totally just floating and flying and um and you're, you know, there's some pure, I wouldn't even say it's animal, it's more flame-like, um, you know, like dancing fire flames kind well, of Well, they thing. have associated drummers with spontaneous combustion yeah. for decades. Yeah. Uh, it is true. It is true that I think, I'm trying to impart that to Anthony, not Andy, yeah. my son. Um is that's where you just want to get you want to you want to put in so it's pre-production 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 you just even like this podcast mm-hmm. i want to do enough in advance so that we can just be here and we can play uh-huh. and that takes some work mm. it takes some mm. work don't you think i guess but we've had more than 50 years of working on this and just having this conversation I mean collectively 50 years. <laughs> what do you mean 50 years? I mean, I've been on the planet for more than 50 years. And, oh, yeah. And I'm pretty too. sure that you have too. I actually... Yeah. Oh, busted. I actually have. Yeah. And so even though I am from another planet and I do age differently than other people, um, I, I think that we've had a lot of experience where we can sit down and have a conversation and the tape player is going and we're not too self-conscious and, you know, we think like, you know, we have the right amount of whatever, confidence and, uh, and playfulness and poise and whatever to have well, a conversation. Well, I think it's podcasts in general. I mean, it's just a giant amount of hubris. I mean, mm-hmm. who, are, who are you out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I didn't think you needed to bring the mirror the mirror, and, the, and all the cosmetic <laughs> cases to this. I appreciate them, but... Well, I, I just wanted you to feel comfortable, so I, yeah, the, yeah. you know, the makeup artist, I'm yeah. happy to spring for, and you look fabulous. But that's Thank the you. other thing is, is along with you, you don't seem to stress out about stuff, and mm-hmm. you know maybe that's one of the reasons why, kind of like Shauna, my shaman BFF, you appear to be aging backwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How are you? What? I know that you do Tai Chi or Qigong. Mm-hmm. 
I know that you eat well. What what else do you do to just what's part of your what do you do when you wake up in the morning? Do you do the same thing every time? Mm, pretty much. I get up. I urinate. Mm-hmm. That's the secret. Yeah. Urination. Urination. Good to know. I urinate. Um, I go downstairs quietly because I leave my mentor in the bed. Um, Don Yokoi. Um, she's a big inspiration to me because she was a really passionate learner. So, like, she's the person who introduced me to Tai Chi and she's the person who introduces me. And she just never gets tired of, like... And she also synthesizes a lot of information. She's reading and she's talking to people and she's constantly getting this information and she's telling me about it. And she's throwing stuff out that doesn't work. And, um, and so... And, um, and she's kind of impatient. So she goes through a lot of... In, she goes through a lot of information. Um... So, um, and then I go downstairs, and I putter, and I drink um, uh, a big glass of warm water with a little bit of milk in it. When I tell people that, they go, ugh, gross. But I, I drink, knew it wasn't going to be coffee, but it's th- like I three, did not see that coming. You know, it's, like, it's like I have some, some mugs which are like the size of like three, three mugs uh-huh. or so. And I and I drink a lot of uh, hot water, boiling water with a teeny bit of milk in it, huh. and um, and then I sit and meditate for just about ten minutes. Oh, you do you do, okay? So yeah. So let's skip over your disgusting morning beverage yeah. and get right to the meditation. Yeah. What kind of what do you? And then I go to the kind, gym. What kind three of days a week? I want to know. Let's let's dwell let's dwell on your meditation practice because really let's do okay. What kind of meditation? I don't know. You just like sit there. Mm, sat, I, no, I'm no, I don't say anything. I just sit. I sit. I'm in a sitting position, and I um, and I breathe. And I um, I'm sitting with in a with what we call in Tai Chi Duela, which is the energetic tension or the energetic relationship between different points. So from the bottom of my sacrum. Um, up through the top of my head, I'm just letting that kind of grow along. And I might kind of concentrate on making that space in between my vertebrae and making those space in my other joints as well and sitting in an ergonomic way, in a stacked way, which is very much about Tai Chi. Tai Chi is about efficiency. It's about trying to do something and move through space in the most ergonomic, balanced way where the the yin and the yang are in balance the different energy in your body is in balance and so i'm trying to sit in this way and i'm just sitting and breathing really that's all i'm doing occasionally i have thoughts and i recognize those as thoughts and i create a distance a little space between the person who's having the thoughts the being who's having the thoughts and the thought itself so if i have a thought then i just recognize that there is a different Thing, a different essence of a lot, a different thing that's alive that is having the thought. And I create that little bit of space, and then the thought goes away, and then I might have another one in a little while. And then I sometimes try to think about if I'm feeling anything. So, this is funny to you, right? No, um, no I'm just, I, I, I just, I mean, you are funny to me and funny, I'm looking, funny with funny you. Funny looking? I feel like I'm laughing with you, even okay. though you're mm-hmm. talking seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, is there, what's the, is And then there in Tai Chi, we, we meditate yeah. standing up in what's called horse stance, which is like a common martial art 
kind of stance. But we we end up standing up in a particular pose with our arms up, with our arms out, and we meditate like that for fifteen or twenty minutes. Yeah. And why Tai Chi? And I've always found Qigong to be more pleasant mm-hmm. to do. I'm not mm-hmm. a Tai Chi person. Yeah. Well, they're really just based on the same principles. Mm-hmm. They're really the same thing, you know. Tai Chi, Qigong, and Chao Su Gong, and there's probably other forms of this also. They're all kind of um, a confluence. I'm going to say something in this podcast, and somebody's going, what a dickweed, that's not right at all. I happen to know exactly where Qigong comes from. So I encourage everybody listening to look everything I say up on the internet, because... Oh, these... I'm doing it right now. Okay, good. So the way I understand it... Yes. Um... And by the way, that's an interesting thing, too, about the way I understand it, um, is as prefacing what you think. Because in our culture, so many people, I mean, the airport is full of these books, which is just like, this is the way things work. And if you do this and the seven steps of whatever, and it's just the seven, like... The seven habits of highly people, effective people. The people don't say very much like... Um, what I think is happening or what I hope is happening or they don't preface things very much. We talk in this culture as just... But the way I understand Tai Chi Mm -hmm. is that it's really the confluence of these three things of a martial art and um, a health regimen that was was devised by these monks to stay healthy who were praying a lot and needed to think about their bodies and also about Taoist philosophy and about the way people had understood the world, and which permeated agriculture and, and all sorts of different arts as well. And so, um, and, that, and that Tai Chi and Qigong and Chao Su Gong, um, you know, we stand, when we meditate, we stand in an ergonomic way. Qigong is just a way of moving slowly, more in the health regimen, moving very slowly and with the breath, and, ma- and, and feeling the breath come through the body and moving slowly. And then, but it's but usually pre- people practice qigong, not always, but with their feet rooted. Chao su gong, you might make more simple movements in silk in silk reeling, but it's just extended movements of what's going on in qigong. Tai chi is 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 moving, um, and perhaps moving with force sometimes, um, but it's just one just flows into the other. They're all they're all based on the same principles, and the movements are really all the same in them. You could fit. Chao Su Gong into Tai Chi. You can fit Qi Gong into Chao Su Gong. So um, um, they're all they're all related to the same discipline. And they're also related, I think, to what Diane is all about, which is the Wu Xing, mm. the five elements. Mm. Which, in listening to that podcast, the second one, I I did have some regrets that I didn't. Well, a few times I completely misunderstood mm. what she was talking about. Mm. But I didn't stop her because she's so grounded in that, you know, that the five elements are all related to, you know, gratitude and mm. the fall and listening and mm. the winter. So, but I did post that on packingforcrazytown.com. Mm. So maybe I'll put a something about Tai Chi and Qigong on packingforcrazytown.com. Mm. Okay. Or you can just Google it. That's a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I was just remembering, remembering what I love is that little, the concept of Dantian, that little golden ball of energy mm. that you move around. I can, when I do that, I can feel it. It's inside you, right? Well, it's actual, well, it's externally, you, you put your hands in a ball and then visualize it. Mm. I'm a big visualizer. I see. How about you? Uh, yeah, I am a big visualizer, especially when I'm doing Tai Chi. 
Um, Dantian is is the way that I have experienced it with with the Tai Chi teacher that I've had is that it's inside in the middle of your body about three fingers below your navel. Oh, okay. And it is a ball and it's moving or it's it's where your energy is coming from. Hmm. It's the source of your energy and it's move and it's moving around in every direction. And from that like you're kind of like there are lines of energy almost like a spider from that ball, like legs of a spider which are coming off which are creating the movement in your hands and legs. Yeah. So after you drink your water and milk, yes, and then after you meditate, yes. Oh, I thought I turned that off. You go to the gym, yeah. And what do you do at the gym? I jump around with weights in my hands. I go to this class, which is called Serious Sculpt, but actually it should just be called kind of high impact aerobics. And mostly it's me in the back of a gym, which is crowded with 35-year-old women who are in very good shape. <laughs> I've seen them. They, then seen, they yeah. go to the noon power yoga class. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they go to several yoga classes, and then they run a 10K <laughs> later on. And, um, and, um, and then I do that, and then I come into work, and I come into where we're sitting now, and I write. Um, uh, I, work, I do work, or I write my musical, or I um, do those kinds of things, yeah. So you're at the point in your career where you have minions to do your real work, your day job? We, I call them humans, but you may call them minions, yeah. Oompa Loompas, yeah. <laughs> they're people. They're actually they're real human beings, yeah. I love them. They seem to like you a lot. I, don't, I love them not the way Donald Trump loves people, I, uh, the way he says I love them. I actually love them. I really love them, yeah. I can tell you have such a, a beautiful... I, I, I can't see any of your employees being afraid to come to you and and tell you things or being defensive or trying to hide things from you how how do you how do you create that atmosphere of 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 such oneness well i'm pretty sure if you had some of my employees all on your own and you gave them some truth serum not all of them would say that they feel that way but some of them would um, and some of them do come to me. Um, and um, other people in the company would say, well, yeah, he's easy to trust or to talk to because he's over there. He's you're not here. He's you know, whatever. They'd have other I mean, there's a oneness, but you have created your yeah. own little separate little fiefdom. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I don't really have a... I, I think that I just... I think that I really like people. I think that I really like people, and I, I think if you spend some time with me, you trust that I really like you and I really care about you. I think so. Not not everybody catches the buzz, but mo- but many people do, and many people catch it really quickly. And I really do like people. You know what? I even like Trump. There's even something I would go, I'd go canoeing with him or something like that. I don't or canoodling or canoodling. Yeah, as long as it was, was in a wilderness that he owned. Um, I think Melania is not so much into the canoodling anymore. Did you yeah. see the what they call the wrist flick scene around the world? I, uh, my, my, Did you see that? My 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 wife showed it to me. Yeah. <laughs> I just oh my heart aches. I don't really watch it as much because I feel like part of our pop culture has become. Have you seen? Have you seen? Did you see the thing yesterday? Did you see the video? Did you see the YouTube video where you know fill in the blank? And I just am like I can't. Um, 
I don't want to I don't want to resonate with that with that buzz as much. But I did hear about it. Well, it's, it's totally us versus them, and I am. I yeah. should be embarrassed that I, you know, am all yeah. up on that. But yeah, and but I don't feel like it's us versus them. I do. I don't. I don't feel that, and I don't want it to be us versus them, because we're so much a part of it. We're so we're so intertwined with it. We're we put him there, and um, we're so connected to the way he got there, and um, um, so you know, I don't want to remove myself from it at all. It's just like Diane said, because once it, once it is us versus them, yeah. then. Or we're in conclusion. Um, we remove the ability to take effective action, like mm-hmm. you were saying. Mm-hmm. You're not that different from her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have found out some things about found out some things about you that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for it. Do you still want to be my friend? <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna fix that musical up. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Ba-dum. No, just kidding. I think. I think you. I think you're amazing, and I never get to see you enough. And one of my favorite things to do with you is just take a walk with you. And I, I think that's, I think that it's important for people to have that human connection and have. Uh, have you heard? Okay, have you heard of this thing? Um, let me see my notes. Oh, it's you. called it's called Facebook. Have let you heard of Facebook? You. Yeah. Um, I've I've been hearing a lot about it lately. I'm I'm gonna maybe investigate that. You know, I want to ask you a question. Well, this is a test of the broadcast emergency system. Yeah, and this is a test of the broadcast emergency plan. Oh, God, we got some problems, and we're trying to see if we'll fix them. Before that whole world of shit hits the fan Now this is a test of whether you will open your head up And let your thoughts get replaced by the money-making message machine Cause there's a whole flood of lies And a world of bad information Trying to wash you out to see In the media stream Well this is a test Of whether we plunder the planet This is a test Well, who's gonna try to resist? This is a test Or whether you just shrug your shoulders And say, clean it up later After I'm done getting rich Test, where do you appear?